Yes, there is a possibility, certainly, that I'll be road captain. And uh, that's something that, you know, uh, is one of my skills and, as I said, I enjoy doing. Hey, podcast listener, you're listening to the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss all the issues that cyclists talk about. Whether you're out training, commuting, or just riding around, sit down and listen in, because we're about to begin. I got something to say, man. Yo, welcome to episode 101 of the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, where we believe that only a semi-pro cyclist rides for love and not money. If you stick around to the end, I'll fill you in on the quote from the top of the show and let you know who's talking about being a road captain. Hey there, semi-pros. My name is Damien Roos. I'm the founder of Semi-Pro Cycling, home of the Semi-Pro Cyclist, and you can find this episode at semiprocycling.com forward slash goals. And yes, a very, very quick review to get us underway today, best out there by Johnny Bravo 33 as a wannabe cat racer this is the best podcast geared to us Damien is spot on with his advice and research well done Johnny Bravo thank you very much for writing that review it really does mean a lot to me and a reminder to you that if you do like the show I would love 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 a review on iTunes or Stitcher because five stars makes me go I don't even know what that is about, but thank you very much. Okay, now the performance roundup. Article 1 was an article put on Cycling News about Nibali's preparation for the Tour de France, and it gets really interesting towards the end where his coach breaks down what he thinks is Froome's and Contador's power numbers that Nibali has to be aiming for. But it's also interesting in the fact that they run through a couple of training drills that Nibali will do with his coach and one of them is actually having the scooter on a hill so the coach is on a scooter he jumps out in front so then the scooter accelerates slightly forcing a gap and as soon as the coach is at the right spot he hits the horn and Nibali has to attack come up to him and go around him if that's not exciting training for what is possibly going to happen in the tour then I don't know what is he's doing a lot of motor pacing work on big hills in the Dolomites so I am expecting him to pick up his pace a little bit because it's been a little bit shocking up until now so we can hopefully see him as a contender because I just love Nibali's riding style but to get to those numbers I'm just going to quote this the coach revealed that he studied Froome's attacks in detail using video content on the internet and television footage I've studied his accelerations how long they last and his cadence Froome weighed between 65 and 66 kilograms at the Dauphiné. Contador was 63. They produced about 400 to 410 watts at threshold, and when they attack, they can hold 430 watts for between 20 to 30 minutes. Froome accelerates for 20 to 30 seconds with peaks of 450 to 480 watts. Then he eases back and stays at 380 to 400 watts, and due to physiological limits, this phase can last between 10 to 15 minutes but not more so hopefully all of this intelligence from his coach plus this training that he's doing is going to mean he's going to be competitive at the tour i hope he is and i'm really looking forward to seeing if any of this training is replicated in the racing itself 
And article two this week is a study called Effects of Four-Hour Pre-Exercise Carbohydrate Feedings on Cycling Performance. And this study determined the effects of consuming three different amounts of liquid carbohydrate four hours before exercise on the metabolic response during exercise and on the performance itself. So four hours before exercise, subjects consumed either 45 or 156 grams of carbohydrates in isocaloric feedings and either 0 or 312 grams of carbohydrates. And interval training was undertaken for 95 minutes, followed by a performance trial. During exercise, insulin averaged 48% higher for the 312 grams of carbohydrates than for the 0 grams. More carbohydrate oxidization occurred during exercise for the 312 grams versus the 0 grams, whereas the results were similar for the 45 grams and the 150 56 grams. So ingestion of 312 grams improved performance by 15% compared to 0 grams of carbohydrates, whereas performance was similar for the 45 grams and the 156 grams of carbohydrates. So these results indicate despite elevated insulin at the start of or during exercise, consumption of 312 grams of carbohydrates 4 hours before moderately intense prolonged exercise can improve performance, perhaps via enhancement of carbohydrate oxidization. So this really does support the fact that you want to have a big carbohydrate meal four hours before a ride. I've always put it down to about three hours should be your last big meal before you go for a ride. They're saying four hours is also possible here, but you're also going to need a top up just before you get to the ride and during the actual ride itself if it's going to go over 60 minutes. So this is pretty fascinating to me. The huge spike in insulin, which they don't give you complete numbers, but 48% higher compared to zero carbohydrate ingestion is pretty big but obviously the results from having the extra carbohydrates in your system has been indicated in this study that it helps performance Alrighty, the nuts and bolts this week setting goals and this episode all about setting goals it's actually such a fundamental part of success i'm surprised i haven't covered it before in detail i've covered it a little bit touching on a few areas but in detail because it is one of those topics that isn't too sexy because it can be exciting when you start to think about your goals but then breaking them down becomes harder and harder and it becomes even a little intimidating to figure out exactly what you should be aiming for it's really hard to do right it takes a lot of practice or some guidance so that's where I'm trying to help today trying to guide you through the goal making process and hopefully this can be a reference for you for any time you want to sit down and put some goals together so what I've actually done is taken an excerpt well a pretty big old chunk from my building the base masterclass that you hear me harp on about at the end of every episode and this is what the episode is going to be it's a little abridged there's bits taken out of it so if you want to get a complete look at it then you will have to sign up but you will get an idea and you'll be able to do it on your own from listening to this episode so without further ado let's get into it this is a complete goal setting system Calling it a system makes it sound a little intimidating, but really it's just a way to get your goals into writing and to give you a way to follow the progress, make adjustments and set new goals when necessary. The goals in this system are delineated into three separate categories, outcome, performance and process goals. And within each of these categories, the goals must each be specific, 
observable and measurable. They also need to have a time frame applied to them. Setting a time frame means that you can revisit your training to see if what you are doing is working. If it's not, then you know that you need to change something in order to reach your goal. So, for example, a good goal would be increase your FTP by 30 watts in four months. So you're adding 15 watts every eight weeks. This is specific, it's observable, and it's measurable and it has a time frame. The division of these goals will help you understand your locus of control, meaning what is in your control and what's not, which helps you focus on things you can control and not waste your energy on elements of cycling that you cannot. One thought before you get into the goals themselves, think carefully about the goals that you set because they can quickly turn against you. It will take some practice to get Goldilocks goals that aren't too easy or too hard, but just right. A goal needs to be difficult enough to challenge, but not so difficult that you don't stand a chance of achieving it. If they're too easy, you'll lose interest as you meet them. And to the contrary, if they're too hard, you'll find yourself consistently missing the mark and in no time your goal might become your enemy. Let's explore how understanding these categories will help you achieve your goals. So starting with process goals. Process goals involve form, strategy, and other markers that ultimately relate to meeting performance goals. They focus on execution of a particular process in training, racing, or recovery. They are the most transformative as they directly affect your habits. For me, these are the most important goals because they can potentially stay with you for life. Examples of process goals include improving technical elements and training like climbing skills on a mountain bike, being comfortable on the drops, or even what you do for recovery. Each goal that you set should be specific, observable, and measurable. The timeline I choose is one month per one process goal. It's easy to get overwhelmed, so if you go for one month, you can then put your energy into building a new habit. Things to watch out for when you're doing this, not adjusting your goals based on changes in your time to train or injuries or anything that changes the goal. If you can't complete it over time, don't feel guilty about changing it. The other one is struggling to build consistency. So process goals are all about consistency, where you need to think about this goal every single day. So you need a way to mark this off or measure yourself doing it. We will get into that later, but it's good to be conscious about this while you're setting your goal. Is it possible to measure this daily? The second one is performance goals, and performance goals are more specific goals. They're your training objectives and very similar to process goals, but given with a standard or a parameter. And these are the stepping stones that, if met one by one, are the path to the outcome goal. This is all about building. Pros like Phil Gaiman are where they are because they were able to add 15 to 20 watts of power to their top end each year for 10 years. And 15 to 20 watts doesn't sound like a lot, and it really isn't. But there would be no way he could go and win a pro race without spending the time to consistently work on these goals, be conscious of them, and slowly build his fitness over time. So the best part about these goals are that they are subjective because they may be set without direct competition. They're well within your control. Make the first goal your identified performance parameter for your event. Set a realistic time frame based on where you are now in relation to that parameter based on your testing. And a good starting point for any fitness gains is a 15% increase per 12 months. You can always adjust this up and down, but I think this is a very good starting point.
it's good to break these goals down into eight-week chunks as well, as this is the average time that any physical adaption can take place. So when you're thinking about your overall goal here, you can make sub-goals that break down that goal so you can know if you're on track and you can measure against it at every review that you do. I would begin by sticking to one goal as it's hard to train two systems at once. You can list a maximum of three, but just be aware that there is a primary goal here that you're aiming for over the eight weeks. Things to watch out for, working towards goals that aren't your own, especially if you're in a team, ditch the permission seeking and do something for yourself based on where you want to be. The final set of goals is outcome goals and outcome goals are the big picture or end result goals. These are the ones that make our eyes light up when we talk about them, the ones that our dreams are built on. And while they're often thought of being goals that are placed at the top of achievement in cycling, like the local crit champs, for example, no, I'm only kidding, like the world champs or Olympics, they need to be more appropriately thought of as the pinnacle of achievement for whatever race you want to achieve or whatever event you want to do well in. It's not about you making it to the Olympics, but you may want to win your age group in the world championship. Definitely remember that you just can't control your competition. These goals aren't within your complete control either. However, these goals are meant to keep you inspired. Examples are season goals or multi-year goals depending on the event, like winning a specific event or other goals like upgrading to Category 2 by June this year. These goals will help you plan your season, and as you only really want to peak a maximum of three times per year, I recommend you set three event-focused outcome goals. Things to watch out for, don't focus on outcome goals more than process or performance goals. Use performance and process goals to help you build towards outcome goals and remember what you can and can't control when it comes to outcome goals and your training and racing. Because if you have an outcome goal of finishing first in your A race and you have a flat tire and you're unable to finish, it doesn't mean your season is a waste because you can fall back on your process and performance goals. Another thing to watch out for is understand your ego when you're setting these goals. Don't get carried away. Know what is possible and realistic and don't fall in the trap of focusing on these goals as the be all and end all when it comes to your cycling performance. So how do you translate these goals into action? First, I recommend putting these goals somewhere where you'll see them every single day, either on the home screen of your computer or your phone or both, on a bulletin board, a cork board, on a whiteboard in your home or your work, and on the back of the toilet door or even inside your helmet, wherever, as long as you're reminded of them all the time. Because writing down these goals is just the start. You must commit. And so keep them all in one place, like the goals worksheet, but somewhere else where they live outside of the computer. Here are a couple of places where each one of these goals can live. Process goals can be ticked off each week or day by using an app like Lyft. You can check out Lyft or you can just simply have a calendar where you mark across every single day that you've completed that goal. You can use the Seinfeld method, which he means just don't break the chain. If you're crossing off calendars, just don't 
break the chain. For performance goals, you can store them in your training software. So because they are data-driven and they're specific quantified numbers, then having them in your training software is the best place to have them, but also pulling them out. And that's why I believe having a separate sheet with a power profile or a lactate heart rate and watching your progress in a graph form somewhere else is a really good way just to get a quick visual rather than having to dig into software programs to find these numbers. And the outcome goals can be stored in your calendar. So you put them in your calendar. You can get reminders. You can share your calendar with other people so they know when these events are coming up. It just takes it out of the context of your brain and puts it somewhere else so you can bump into it every now and then and be reminded of it. The reason you do this is because things can fall apart quite easily from here and your goals can quite easily turn into just words on paper or empty pixels on the screen. You have to give them meaning and create a support system around them. So not only a support system in regards to just them being everywhere in your presence, you want to be able to track your weekly progress by sharing your goals with a coach, a friend, a training partner, or better yet, create a mastermind for the specific purpose of keeping you accountable. In order to do this, you'll have to help out others, or you may even have to run one. But that's another reason why I'm such a big fan of mastermind groups. Another reason you may not achieve your goals is not knowing where to turn for answers. But if you do create or join a mastermind group or network with other cyclists, it becomes your brain's trust and they're able to help you get over hurdles. You still need to sit down every rest week and review and revisit your goals. And remember to be honest with your assessment of why things are or are not on track. So what can you do right now to get started? Cycling training can be complicated and there's a lot to learn and having goals isn't sufficient but it's necessary. In fact, it's almost critical to your success. Without this fundamental building block, everything else is pointless. The goals are the most important because we can build out training plans, we can build out our knowledge, everything else is possible but without this focus, without this end goal in mind, the rest will probably end in failure or at least not where it could have been. Okay, the tech hacks and products section, the Hatfield strap. And I saw this product floating around some random cycling blog somewhere, and I thought you should check it out. If you have troubles getting to your calves and ankles, because they are really important in cycling and, as I have mentioned, in running as well. But if you have trouble getting to these and you can't get on them properly with the roller or you don't have a band, an elastic band that you can use to get down and help your ankles out, then maybe this is a solution for you. It's a shoulder strap that goes around your shoulder and then tucks in behind your foot. So the shoulder and the weight from your back is actually controlling the movement on your foot and calf, which is a pretty clever way of doing it because otherwise you have to be standing up but there is a bit of information that you want some weight on your Achilles for example if you're trying to stretch this out so it may not be helpful in that area but to get that movement and to get your foot up and to stretch out the calf it looks like it solves a small problem I just don't know whether it would be worthwhile investing in a product just for something that does such a specific job but you be the judge of that I've got the link in the show notes so the quote from that top of the show it's of course mick dodger rogers having an amazing 
year so far, two stages at the Giro. I'm not sure if he's riding the Tour, but he has come out and blown them away after a really shaky start to the year. But he is back in full force, and it's good to see that the old dog has some new tricks, and he can take some pretty cool wins. Both of those wins in the Giro were cool. His breakaway downhill, and then the unfortunate incident for his other escapee, but he wasn't an opportunist. He just went for it, and he was going to go for it anyway. And to win up such a grueling hill is a really testament to the class that Mick Rogers carries through from season to season, and We'll see. I don't know if he's riding the tour, but like you have heard, he is the road captain. And I'll put a little clip at the end of this episode so you can hear a little bit more about how he enjoys the role of making the decisions between the director sportif and what happens on the road. And a lot of the time, it's these split-second decisions that make the difference between winning and coming second. That's it for this week. You have been listening to the Semi-Pro Performance Podcast. Remember to head over to semiprocycling.com forward slash goal to find any links used in this week's episode. From there, if you do want the extras with the Building the Base Masterclass, sign up for the class and you will get the goals worksheet and the video that accompanies it. All you have to do is just enter your email in the right-hand box of any post page for the podcast. But till next week, get on your bike and enjoy the pain cave or the hurt box, whichever one you're into. It's a role that I've never really been scared of, is to be road captain and, and make hard decisions in heated moments. From one moment literally to the next can put the race on its side and change things completely. And it's quite a difficult thing sometimes because you are under such physical effort to actually take just five seconds, just ten seconds. You know, actually open your eyes and, and open your ears and listen and, and see what's going on and, and things become much clearer. It's always been an endurance sport, but there's also a huge power element that's now coming into it. You know, training has just been so refined. I think it's really like any other business. The sector becomes more efficient. Uh, we have access to data. They can go right down to a granular detail and actually understand this is what's required to win that race. This is what's re- required to be a mountain climber. This is what's required to be a sprinter. So once they worked that out, they actually knew how to train for races a lot better. Bjarne's put together a really good team. I really believe we have the guys for the tour, strong guys can be there in mountains and with experience. So I, I'm confident that we can do special things at the tour. It's always interested me how you can just squeeze that half a percent or one percent. And maybe, you know, there's possibility to put two or three or four one percenters together and all of a sudden you have quite a, an advantage.